Cross the Streams Podcast, Season 6, Kip here. This is kind of a, this one's wearing a lot of hats. We talk on the pod a lot about, you know, I wear a lot of hats, people listening, you know, you got a dad hat, a career hat, a human being, all these different hats you wear. And this one, the pod's wearing two hats, because the pod, obviously, Kane and I started five seasons ago, because we thought you could, the, the thing people get caught up on is the lack of interrelationships if we don't know each other. So we loved basketball, football, crossing the streams, helping one another. We loved giving platforms to folks that maybe aren't have millions of followers but are doing amazing work, which my guest today is doing. But also, the pod's got a little Willamette Bearcat hoop feel to it today. We might use it for the Bearcats because it's a where are they now with one of our great alums from 06, but I'm going to let him introduce himself here. Go ahead, Lucky. Introduce yourself to everybody. Awesome. Thanks, Kip. Well, uh, Jason Lechterhand, like Kip said, class of 06, a great class with Olinger, Stublin, Gorel, Saleta. A lot of uh, Bearcat Hoopers, Gordy, Kip, Wally Wing, Nelly, Nelson Lomax, I, 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 a lot of great memories there. So um, pumped to be on the podcast, honored to be on the podcast, can't wait to tell some stories. And I've had an interesting uh, journey uh, post-grad, and, uh, and I'm looking forward to, uh, to talking uh, talk to you and kind of unpacking everything. Lucky, were you like an original Stretch 4? We're going real Bearcat-y here for folks, so if you want to fast forward two minutes, we'll get into the awesome career field. But were you like a Stretch 4, the original Stretch 4? I think I, I think I wanted to be. I don't know if I, don't know if I, perfectly, I, know if I perfectly fit that, but in uh, but in uh, 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 High School three uh, A before the A's jumped yep. to six A in Oregon, and uh, definitely at six four, a buck seventy soaking wet. So just think of this Gumby looking alien <laughs> out there on the court. But uh, to your point, shot the three ball, yep. a couple blocks, couple steals a game, you know, four or five assists a game kind of thing. So, I, I yeah, I, I definitely not quite as polished as I should have been. And right. I, I remember I was so grumpy when I, and, and, and bear with me, I didn't settle for Willamette, but I'm like, man, I got the same skill set as all these D1ers. Uh-huh. Like, why am I not out uh-huh. there? And I remember going and seeing D1ers play. I'm like, oh, they're like 50 pounds heavier. Oh, that's than me. And what it is. That's the difference. And they're stronger, like, I got it. Like right. I haven't hit muscle maturity yet. So, but uh, but yeah, I think uh, yeah, I, I like that. I'll, I'll take I'll take that as a compliment. Right. And on the on the Willamette side of the podcast, we had a lot of Willamette listeners. Your guys' class did a lot of winning. There was a lot of winning in that group. A lot of we I think did. you know. We, we up, started we started out slow because we were on the tail end of the Happy, right? The Marcus Johnson, the BJ Dabrowski era, which that was, that that team just won and won and won. We had two years where we struggled, and then ju- my junior year, we kind of put it together. We had a winning record, and then, yes, yeah, senior year, we were NWC semis. Yep. I remember the look on your face up at Whitworth where I was like, man, we I were know. that close to going to the uh, Natty. Uh, but, uh, it was, uh, that was fun. It was us, uh, Whitworth, and... UP, UPS right probably in that run, UPS. right? UPS yeah, in UPS. that run. But yeah, we, t- we we ended up tied tied record with UPS, and then Whitworth got the one seed, and they uh, they went on. Uh, well, before I, I dive into the career stuff, Lucky, give give the listeners, you know, life, family, the, the great things you're doing as a man, a husband, a dad. Go update everybody. Brag about your about the clan a little bit. I will. I will. Well, I've been married now for, geez, we're going to be eight years here. You should know that faster. You should know that faster. I know. It was a short spurt that I remember. It's written on my wedding ring. I should know better. There but, you go. Uh, but no, yeah, May 31st will be eight years to my beautiful wife, Lauren. Um, you'll learn uh, how I met her through the stories we tell here shortly. And uh, I'm a girl dad. I've got a three-and-a-half-year-old named Katie Marie. Um, big, curly, poofy hair, a uh, big laugh, just big. You know, she just lives life to the fullest. And uh, it's been 
it's uh, everybody talks about how, you know, Lauren and I were dating into marriage almost 10 years without a, without a child. And um, it was a lot of fun. I mean, mm-hmm. we had a rich relationship. We traveled. We did a lot of things. And man, things change when you have a little one. And right. it, it, it all changes for the better. There's sleepless nights and, you know, there's trials and tribulations and everything in between. But it's been, uh, it's been you know, truly beautiful to watch her grow up and learn and all the things she can say and think now. She knows, like, we, we used to spell words as code and now she's deciphering that. So we got to figure yeah. out how the heck we're going to communicate now to kind of get one past our little kid. But uh-huh. it's been, uh, it's been Good cool luck stuff. in that front. Good luck in that. My daughter. Nobody, nobody can figure that out. No. uh, But I I moved, uh, moved from uh, North, moved around Portland for about 12 years. And then I just moved to Vancouver, Washington uh, last summer. So I've been west of Salmon Creek, kind of on the north end of Vancouver. So um, family's good beyond that. And yeah, it's been, uh, it's been, uh, the pandemic was quite a, quite a trip for all of us. I'm glad that things are normal-ish. Yeah, right. We'll ever get normal again, but it's, uh, at least we can go outside a little bit Well, I welcome you to the Girl Dad Club. My daughter just turned 12, I mean, just turned 13 from 12, when really what she turned was into a young, fully-fledged adult that doesn't want to live here anymore as a 13-year-old. Dad, I need a brand new phone. Uh, Let's Mm -hmm. talk about the timeline for my, getting my permit and, uh, you know, all these things that, you know me, Lucky. Like I, I've I've created my myself, right, in the female form, which is a great thing and an awful thing for me because she's very demanding and has her own idea, which is all always awesome. She's gonna do great things, but holy cow, we'd be button heads sometimes, man. We'd be oh, button heads. It's either gonna be it's either like perfect harmony or yep. just like two rams, just like yep. button. It's a good thing her mom's here. Good thing her mom's here to officiate that. But let's jump in, man. I should have introduced it. You know, I should have given you your title, right? Like VP. Sales operations and upheld thing. I'm going to let you do all that. That's awesome. It's awesome. That but is correct. With the Jay Lucky I coached, right? I was an assistant coach and back in the day was young enough to still do workouts with you guys when I wasn't afraid of tearing an Achilles playing basketball. Now I just stick to OTF like, like we talked about. Straight line hey, I treadmill. See, I see taking charges the other hey, man. That. Lucky, Honestly, I was man. sore for three days. I think some <laughs> of the guys, you know, I you know, I, I can get on the guys as a coach. I think some of the guys rightfully so were like, oh, coach is opening up his chest to this charge. I'm going to take advantage of this. And I think they did. I can, I can dish it back. Right yes, now. right. There's no, there's no <laughs> but would that college age kid, Jason Luchterhan, 04, 05, 06 range, would he be surprised by your career arc? Why or why not? Uh, in short, very surprised. So when I was uh, even going back pre-college and high school, everything left brain so mathematics chemistry um anything those analytical or numbers oriented like i could i could yeah every high school kid does this right it's like okay i've got homework to do what's the i'll do some of the hard homework tonight and then like five minutes before class tomorrow i'll just jot down like the easy stuff and math for me even tricky math like that was it i'd be like oh like in in you know the 10 minutes between classes like boop 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 i'm good so all the left brain stuff thrives. So whenever I did career mapping in high school, even into college, it was like, you're going to be an accountant. You're going to be an actuary. You're going to be something boring and dry <laughs> in front of a computer. And as you know, too, like I'm, I, I'm, a, I'm definitely socially extroverted. I'm a little bit of an ambivert, but it, like, I love being in social settings. I love right. laughing. I love telling stories. So the, the careers that lined up with my natural strengths never seemed to jive. So when I was going through school of Willamette, I felt like I, there was kind of this moment my junior year where I'm like, okay, I'm like getting all my coursework done and I kind of need to make a decision right now. Do I want to teach maybe high school math and business and then coach hoops? 
or do I want to go into more maybe like a business route or something like this? And I couldn't really, I was bobbing and weaving between the two. And then finally I said, okay, well, if I did one and it ended up not working and I could fall back on another, what would be the best approach that way? And I figured business, business is going to change. Like I think 06 too, like oh. we, we made it through the internet bubble, all sorts of new business, you know, Apple iPhone was coming out, like just everything happening on the business side. I was like, man, if I like, if I do teaching and decided that wasn't for me, and then I try to go back to business, I'm going to be way too far behind. Great. I, yeah. Whereas with teaching, it's it's a little bit more timeless. Go yeah. back to school, learn how to be a proper teacher, and then I could go in and jump in and do that. So so that was where I did that. I took a sabbatical for a year. I went moved back to Southern Oregon, lived with close friends, kind of just dinked around. Honestly, I just wasn't ready to, to dive in the career. And some would say it was remorseful or, or it would lead to a regret. I, I needed that. Yeah. But then 07, 08 happened the great recession, right? So like all of us that had this great education, great marks in school, we thought we were gonna, it was the golden era. You'd yeah. like, you know, get done with school, walk into a six figure job and just- You're ready. Happy. Yeah, and you start living. That was gone. That was gone overnight for a lot of us. So so I ended up moving to, uh, moving up to Portland. Another one of my close friends was working at the Westin Hotel and they were doing, uh, they were a concierge. So they were, you know, they were talking about, oh, you know, there's like higher end clients or business clients coming into Portland great uh from a you know a career uh, a career builder from like communication skills logistics like there's a lot of upside i'm like okay and of course like you get tips there's some money involved i got some bills to pay okay i'll come in and i'll be a doorman slash ballet so i did that at the western for about a year little did i know that i met my wife while i was at the western so lauren my wife was uh technically my boss really in in a way she was the head of the front office and the front office we reported to them yeah and uh but yeah we were uh very quickly realized that we were a good match and uh and so that was you know every every weird story has a beautiful silver lining to Uh it so that's the western was meant to be and uh and now 13 years later, we got a beautiful That's amazing. I didn't know that was the, the origin story for you two. That's amazing. Did you have to fill that out was. HR forms and disclose your relationship? Were we in that area yet where we did luckily, this? Luckily, by the time we started dating, she was just like, hey, um, so I make more money than you, so you need to get a different job. And I was like, okay. Smart. Smart. Send it. Send it. So uh, so she wore the pants, and I wouldn't got, I wouldn't got a new job. But no, but it was that. Now, so from there, I went to Nike for a year and a half, did sports marketing. Which was great, uh, managing like uh, the, the Nike Town visits for sponsored athletes, like Pau Gasol. I talked to all the time. He wore wow. size fifteen, and I had to figure out like nice dress shoes for him because that was when the league was kind of going from the loose baggy Ooh. clothes back to the. Was that the Iverson dress clothes. code? The Iverson dress code, you know, and I know you're an AI truther. Yes, yes. His, his attire, his attire was not uh, smiled upon like this game was, unfortunately. For, I uh, think for, what uh, the, the, the was the tipping point, the triple X Kareem throwback. That he wore, and that might have been the tipping point for old David Stern. That might have been. Yeah, when his shirt touched the ground, that was probably when Stern was like, "We need to, we right? need to tighten it up at least one slice." Maybe, I did not know slice. that the the Gasol connection for you. I didn't know that part of the journey. Yeah. So so and and there was all sorts of other you know quote unquote smaller time sponsored athletes. They could have two hundred and fifty dollars a year. Gore, you know, their coaches and NCAA and and NAIA had little small allotments, and then. You had the, you know, the Kobe's of the world, the LeBron's of the world. They had their own people, right. but like some big time, like NBA, NFL uh, players had uh, sponsorships that we would handle merchandising for Nike town visits and things like that. I love that. I learned a ton. The thing that uh, with Nike that didn't sit well with me is 
everybody on my team was waiting 10 to 12 to 15 years to get a promotion. Oh. And I was just like, you know, it's just not, it's Nike's big, uh, phenomenal culture. I loved working yeah. with some, you know, uh, old Hoopers that, you know, Olinger right. and others that work there that are, they love it. But for where I was in my career, I was like, I need something a little more fast paced. I need yeah. something a little bit more where I could like grow and learn new skills and kind of build my yeah. resume essentially. So went back to hotels at the nines, uh, the, just brand new opened there by Pioneer Square. Um, and I went as a lead doorman, was there for a year and a half. Again, similar experiences, learned about the city, great things. And what was when you really say lead doorman, that? what is sorry, what what is what? Give me a sense of what that means. I'm picturing one thing. Well, give give the like, what does that mean when you're the lead version compared to what? You, was it different from what you do at the Westin? Were you not the it lead? Di- it was different because basically I was one of there was probably three of us that would have different shifts throughout the week. And, uh, but it'd be prime time shifts, like evening shifts, like toward the weekend. Oh, okay. And we would be, we would be the first interaction that guests, uh, people going to the restaurant, even just visitors from out of town, like we would kind of be the face of the hotel. Oh, so okay. there were certain ways we introduced the restaurants, certain ways we introduced, um, you know, different parts of Portland to people. So there was kind of a, a little bit of a higher standard or I guess code that we were coached to, to be able to engage people. Was that feeding so, your um, extrovert a little bit? Being able to talk. Yeah, and, and that, so I would I would thrive all day in that, and then I'd go home and I'd like read a book, so I'd just, <laughs> like have the TV off. Like I would I would totally need to recharge after that. But, yeah. but I loved it because then again it helped me build my communication skills, helped me understand how to like engage different people. Which again you'll hear about here momentarily. Yeah. Kind of where I think where that came into play as like a key step in in my career as well. And so I'm doing that for a year and a half, and I'm talking to Laura, and I'm just like you know like. Not that like I'm never I would never say I'm better than something, but I'm like, but there's something else that I, I need mm-hmm. to do. I need to explore like a different, like more of a true career path. Right. Uh, and so um Audigy uh, kept popping up with different uh job ads. It was a growing company up here in Vancouver, Washington. They did um business management solutions for private practice doctors. And at the time it was very exclusively to audiology or like hearing doctors. Okay. So I was like, okay, this seems kind of cool, fast growing company, um, hiring all, the, all sorts of different positions. I have this math econ background. I'm gonna apply to be a finance manager. So it would work with their existing clients and I would help offer like, you know, budgeting advice, um, you know, accounting advice, help them with like their financial analytics and things like that. Okay. So I'm like, oh, this seems like, this seems like a perfect fit. Yeah. So I go in, I go into my interview and I sit down and there was a piece of paper in front of me and I'm reading it and I'm going, huh, something looks different about this. I see finance manager, but I didn't notice the senior title in front of the finance manager when I applied online. What? And so Omar and um, and Heather were the two people that were interviewing me, or excuse me, Omar and Ben Sarah at that time, okay. that first interview, were the people that were interviewing me. And uh, and I'm looking at it and they're explaining, they're like, yeah, so for the finance manager position, we're really excited to interview with you today, Jason. Um, just a reminder of the requirements you need to have, you know, strong, uh, you know, mathematical skills. You need to have five years experience as a finance manager. You need to, and they just kept going, kept going, kept going. I'm going, uh-huh, uh-huh, okay, okay, cool. And so I'm, look, I'm looking at it and then there was just one of those like defining moments where I'm like, usually I'm a go with the flow guy. Yeah. I'm like, okay, like, so I have two choices, right? I can totally try to like not fib my way through this, but I could try to like show that maybe I'm the guy Yeah. or I could just basically own up to the fact that I'm not the guy. You're missing so the like, five-year thing. Just a small nugget, small, small detail. Just a small detail. Do I think I have the skills to bridge that? Maybe. But yeah. uh, like, so I was just like, Omar, I'm so appreciative of the opportunity and I can imagine how busy you guys are. Like, I don't want to waste your time. 
I don't have these three things that you said were key to the position. So I just want to give you guys the option to end the interview right now. Man, that's very, that's tough to do. Good for you. That's some integrity there, Jay Lucky. it's a, it's a, and I just looked at it and I was just straight face. I'm like, look, like I just don't want to ever waste somebody's time. It's yeah. just another thing that was kind of built into me that my parents taught me. And they kind of looked at each other and they're like, we so appreciate that you just said that. Here's, uh, you should come back tomorrow. We looked at, we kind of looked at your career path and we actually think there's a different position for you. Wow. Didn't tell me what the position was. They're like, just come back tomorrow at the same time. Okay. Okay. So, okay. Cool. I think I had to cancel a shift and move some stuff around. So I come back. And I sit down, I'm like, okay, I don't even know what I'm prepping for yeah. here. And they're like, so membership development was what they called their sales position. Okay. I said, yeah, Omar's like, here's why I think it is, right? Like you, you're very confident, you're a clear communicator, um, you're uh, you're honest, like all the things we're looking for on our sales team, they started unpacking that. And I thought it was interesting too. And I'm like, huh, like sales, never, ever, ever would I have done right? sales. The right? math accountant guy is now in the sales field. Interesting, yeah. yeah. I, between freshman and sophomore year, when I went back to Southern Oregon to live uh, live at home with my dad, I did door-to-door sales, and I lasted three days. <laughs> three days. And I was like, this is not for me. I don't like it. I'm never going to do this again. And here I am interviewing for a sales position. I thought that was, it was just really interesting, right. full circle. And so going through the interview, things are going well. Uh, and, you know, I'm feeling good about it. And then Omar, at the end, he, he drops the million-dollar question. And, of course, like the big wind-up, right? He's like, Jason... I just have one question left for you. And it, it felt like it was like a 30 second pause. It was probably like a four second pause. Yeah. And we're just like, oh, he is about to drop something on me right now. He goes, Jason, why would we, as a medically oriented sales and consulting company, hire a doorman from a hotel as our as one of our lead sales positions? That's big. That's on the spot. Spotlight. That's like a on free throw. Four seconds left, man. Make it, it or like we the lose. One, uh, the one up in uh, against uh, not Linfield. Who did that? Was it my senior year? Final <sighs> final radio season game. I iced two free throws. So that yes, was that LC? Uh, yes. Yeah. 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 And uh, and so um, so it's like that moment where I was like, wow, like everything comes down to this. And I go, so I, I think I took about ten seconds to kind of gather my thoughts, and I said, all right, Omar, I'll answer your question in the form of uh, maybe like a situational answer. Yeah. So I'm in the front door of the hotel, a black G-Wagon rolls up, a Mercedes G-Wagon, freshly washed, chrome rims, sparkly, shiny. You see a well-dressed gentleman driving the car, a well-dressed lady in the front seat. I walk over, open the door for the, uh, open the passenger door. I offer a hand. I say, welcome, miss, to the Knights Hotel. Do you need some assistance? She gets out of the car. I run over to the driver's side and I say, greetings, you know, welcome, Mr. Mr. Smith. Welcome to the nines. Are you dining with us this evening? Will you be Will you be staying overnight? He responds, oh, you know, we're just going up for a quick drink and maybe a bite. Great. We have two of the best restaurants in town. If you go to the 15th floor, departure, it's our ultra lounge, beautiful views of the city, Asian fusion cuisine, great cocktails, everything you could look for. Very lively atmosphere, a little loud. So if you're sensitive to that, just be mindful. We also have the steakhouse on the eighth floor, Urban Farmer. Beautiful atrium in the heart of the hotel, classic steak fair, you know, uh, more American fair in between. Great cocktails as well, a little bit more of a casual, quiet setting. I'm going to leave the car up here. You're probably going to be maybe an hour, right? Yeah, I'm just going to leave the car right here. If you need anything, here's my cell phone. Shoot me a text and just let me know when you're coming down. Mr. Smith, Mrs. Smith, hope you guys have a great night. Fast forward 10 seconds, a Subaru rolls up. Mud on the tires, woman's driving. Man's asleep, jaw, gave foot out the window. <laughs> kind of like he's, he's just passed out, right? 
So I slowly walk over to the driver's side door, window's already down, I just go, wow, looks like we had a day, how are we doing? She says, oh, it was great, we were up in the gorge, we hiked uh, Multnomah Falls, we did Aniata, we did, we did it all today. I said, wow, those are some of my favorite trails up on the gorge, I'm glad you guys got to do that today. Do you need a minute to get situated? Can I get a, maybe a bellman to assist you with the bags? Like, what can, what can I do to make the next three minutes of your life easy? And she says, well, that bellman sounds like, yeah, we typically don't do that, but the bellman, my husband's asleep. I need to get him situated. How about we, let, let's just get the bellman, let's get the bags moving. Perfect. Once you get out of the car, I'll get everything situated with valet. I can help you with public parking, whatever you need again for the car. You just let me know, my name's Jason, take your time, right? So I say NC. If Omar, if you need somebody with medical sales experience is as a prerequisite to be successful in this role, again, you, you can see my resume. Like once again, I'm not your guy. However, if you need somebody who can really read people well, communicate well, adapt your vernacular to be able to connect with people, because I imagine different parts of the country, private practice owners probably look, talk, feel very different from one another. I have years of training in that. And if I can learn the medical stuff, I think I could write it. Wow. And I dropped the microphone. So and good. He, said, he left eight years later and I went upstairs and he, he went to, I forget what, he, he moved to a, another company in a senior position, shook his hand, gave him a hug. And he like, he looked at me eight years later and he just said, Hey, Jay, I still remember that answer to that interview question. Like I've done hundreds of interviews over the years and just how confident you were and who you were and nothing more and nothing less resonated with me and just reminded me like, you know, there's no, there's no benefit to like fluffing your own story. Just be authentic and I mean, yeah, be real but be authentic and, and connect the dots. And, you know, he's like, that's exactly what you did. In that that makes like, I, just, me, I vividly remember that. That's so, I mean, I'm, I'm ready to hire you right now. Whatever the hell we need down here at Willamette, Jay Lucky's ready. Love but it, it makes me think hashtag read the room, like as a superpower for you. You know, like reading the room, reading people, which is interesting to me because of what you talked about before is that have you always, I know I'm jumping forward in the questions a little bit, but do you think you possess that trait the whole time? Did you develop it when you started at the Westin way back? Did that come from being around teammates and trying to read a locker room? Talk, I mean, that kind of dives into inherent personality traits or stuff you worked on. Where did that come from? Because I do, I mean, that is awesome. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. I think it's funny. I, it's your point. I think it's one of those skills that I always had, but I never unlocked. Uh. I, I'm an only kid. I grew up very shy, very to myself. And so those moments where I could kind of be authentic and stand my ground, I would sometimes let that moment pass or I, I just wouldn't capitalize on those moments. Right. But I was always very perceptive. And, and the other thing when you when you sent those questions yesterday, I thought about it. I said, OK, what are my superpowers? definitely like listening and reading a room, like picking up on people's word choices, people's um, people's sense of humor. I'm a very goofy guy. Mm -hmm. I lead with sense of humor. I did that all throughout my younger years. And a lot of people were attracted to it, but I would really push some people away from that. And yeah. I'd be like, huh, that's really interesting. Like, again, like, I don't want to, I, I, I was also a people pleaser. So mm -hmm. I think those two things where I was like, I was a little timid and I was a people pleaser. I would focus more on how people responded to me than versus being like my true authentic self. So mm. I think I think I always had it, but I think I had to go through some experiences, the locker room and just seeing how other young men were become, you know, kind of stepping into their own. And you had like the people of the world, like, you know, Steve, you know, CJ Stublin, who spoke their authentic self 100% of the time. And I got to be really close with him. And I was just like, wow, like 
we're very different, but like we both kind of picked up from each other a lot of like, you know, communication, thinking, life skills from one another. And uh, of course, you know, a number of others, Erickson, and, right. uh, Olinger, and a lot of guys in the locker room, uh, you know, Plank a lot that uh, we, we definitely, we definitely learned from each other because right. we were, we were a very, uh, uh, and I would say uh, we, we had very different personalities yeah. in that room. Greeley, Drew Miller, oh, like we had we had we had a we had a wild uh, a wild assortment of guys. For sure. So take take so you you blow away with that question. You're awesome. Go from there. Well, what's the next steps with that? You're going into sales now and using that. Going into sales, yeah. So so I, I get the I get the position. The full circle on this story too that I left out was. I so the interview ends and Omar I could see he was kind of blown away with my response and he looks at he looks at Sarah and kind of gives a nod and Sarah's like hey Jason we really think like we're we're very confident that you're going to hear some good news from us tomorrow I want to take you uh, up to the third floor of the building and introduce you to one of our vice presidents his name's Mason Walker I'm like Mason Walker just getting married to a woman named Ashley he drives a black Mercedes he comes into the urban farmer at least once a week and I'm like I mean, Mason Walker is a common enough yeah. name where I'm like, there's no way this is the same guy. It's, it's impossible. I, I, I've, no, I've known this person for a year and a half now, and like, we hug each other when he comes to the hotel. So I go up, and I'm like, man, that would be such a small world. Yeah. Door opens, and he's back turned to me, and I instantly know it's him. And Sarah goes, hey, Mason, I want to introduce you to Jason Lechterhand. He turns around, and he goes, Jay, what are you doing here? And I'm like, Mace. And he comes over and gives me a big bear hug. And Sarah's like, okay, like, what's going on? And Mason tells the story. He's like, oh, he's like, this guy has been the consummate professional for me and Ashley every time we come into the hotel, like for what, two years now? I'm like, yeah, basically two years. And uh, and he said that he's like, what, what is he is he working for us now? Like, what's going on? So I was like, yeah, we just were thinking about sending a, a job offer him for the sales position. And Mason's like, hire him sight unseen. He is proven unbelievable. Years. Like, yeah, who he is as a character like who is that he's like, I trust like, you know, I trust any of my possessions, anything with this guy like he, he needs to he needs to be one of us kind of thing. So so I, I the, the that's story amazing. I told him, the couple of the that's couple so of good that you set me up with over the years for like phone calls. I said, yeah. hey, like, what you do after school matters. So don't get me wrong. But I had a very interesting path to where I am today. So if you're a janitor at a McDonald's, if you're a CEO, if you're uh, working in a hospital, like whatever you do, you bring your best self and luck only happens to those who are prepared and who show up every day. Right? I love so if that. you are a glowing person and you connect build these relationships, who knows what dots will get connected down the road, right? So some call it serendipity, some call it fate. I've just always been like, you know, like I live in the gym. I'm a hard worker and like whatever I'm going to do, I'm going to be the best at. I just wrote that down because we're cutting that up for our current roster. Your whole little Love segment it. there was so good. But it, it doesn't it. doesn't make you think, you know, we'll get I'll give Gordy a ton of credit. Like every possession matters. Doesn't that every make you think of that a little bit? Right. hundred percent. And like Gordy would like, I would think sometimes to a fault, Gordy would be so laser focused about that. And you played for him, right? Yep. Like. You love you, we love the guy, but then there'd be this moment like Jesus, please. Coach, we're up thirty-five. Like, Calm down. <laughs> yeah, like, like I did like three of my D slides perfectly, and the fourth one I relaxed a little bit. Right, but he knew that like when the moment counted, and that's why he won a national championship and everything he did with the rosters he had. Like he yeah. he knew that every possession counted and every moment counted, and so I think that that reinforced kind of how my DNA was already built was uh you know just to be just whatever you're doing just do be excellent be the best you can be just glow just shine and you know who knows what's going to come from 
That's so good. Let's take our first break. That was awesome. And we'll come back and talk about Audigy to Up Health and, and everything great in between. So we're back. So you get the job. You got the fantastic connection. Go from there to where you talk. Take us from there through where you are today. Yeah. So I was at Audigy for 10 years. It was a wonderful, wonderful experience. I was in sales that entire time. So for about the first half, maybe about six years of that 10, I uh, jumped around. I started in selling to an emerging market for us in Canada. So I got the chance to travel to six provinces, Toronto, Vancouver, Halifax, did a lot of travel throughout Canada, which was really, really cool. For a small town, Rogue River, Southern Oregon boy, it was crazy to be able to kind of like travel internationally for work. I was like, wow, this is really cool. So I did that. I uh, worked on another emerging uh, side of what we did for heroes and throat physicians. So otolaryngologists is the formal medical term. Similar idea that you know business services to help them just practice medicine and throw more patients. So I did those different uh, direct contributor sales roles and kind of built up a body of work. The director position came available, so I was able to step in and was honored to receive that distinction to be the director of the sales team. I had a team of nine at its peak, so uh, different uh, divisions uh, between private audiology and neuros and throat, different regions of the country, um, some outside sales professionals that traveled and you know did face-to-face -face meetings with doctors uh, pre-pandemic, of course, and uh, and then inside sales, uh, more uh, phone dialing, LinkedIn, email mm. connections to kind of build those meetings up. But uh, yeah, I ran the sales organization for Audigy wow. for about two and a half years, I believe. And, uh, and again, great experiences. I think the pivot point for me was that um, I, what I loved about Audigy, it was really saying to my core, was that um, and then I talked about the door-to-door -door sales that I last three days. We were selling uh, like um, discontinued household goods, um, you know, games for kids, things that again were important, but I, it just wasn't like singing to me. It was kind of manipulative selling mm. practices. And I was yeah. like, this is kind of weird. Like I, I, I'm not really like feeling good about what I'm right. doing. But with Audigy, I'm like, well, we're helping doctors practice medicine better or more than having to run their businesses. Like, I'm inherently helping doctors help more people, right? So yeah. it's a very strong, like, connection to the mission about, like, helping these doctors throw more patients. And I think for me, what was, um, what was missing was that it was a very niche audience that was receiving that care. So, you know, uh, you know uh, private pay hearing aids. They can be pretty expensive. So it's kind of a, a niche within the US that was on the receiving end of this care. And so when the UpHealth opportunity came up, at the time it was CloudBreak, was okay. the legacy company. Um, CloudBreak offered interpretive services for healthcare systems and, and, and hospital systems. So um, uh, language interpretation in 250 languages, video remote, over the phone, um, you know, on site solutions, everything to help doctors better connect with patients that don't speak English as a primary language. So again, if you think about when I was a kid, I grew up in rural Southern Oregon, beautiful part of the country. There's beautiful people down there, but bear with me when I read some statistics to you. And these are unofficial statistics, 99.9% .9 Caucasian, um, you know, a lot of homogenous thinking from like religious uh, thinking, uh, worldviews, very limited worldviews from a lot of my circle. And so being able to work at a company that really broadens that to infinity and helps, there's about upwards of 27 to 30% of the US population that doesn't speak English as a primary language. And a lot of people think Spanish instantly, which is correct, like 70% of our need is Spanish. But there's so many, you know, Mandarin, Cantonese, 
Um, there's strong Hmong populations in California, Minnesota, different parts of the U.S. Um, there, you know, uh, um, uh, Somali is one of the top ten languages. I would have never guessed that in the United States. And that's States. like so in the a, Minneapolis region, right? Like Minnesota. Right, yes, it, that's insane. The yeah. Midwest, the Midwest gets this rap as like extremely uh, homogenous as well. But there's like Columbus. There's 123 unique languages demanded in Columbus, Ohio. And I'm right. so proud. But, but if you think of a lot of like what's going on in the world, unfortunately, with like Ukraine and yeah. Russia, a lot of those Midwest and Eastern uh, half of the country cities are recipients of refugees uh, or their, gotcha. their travel points because they're easy to travel to. Right? Yes. So, so was, again, just in my one year here, April, April 1st will be exactly one year with this new company. I've learned so much about how diverse this country is. And you couple that with the fact we were talking just a minute ago. If you speak English perfectly in the United States and you get into healthcare, what are the odds that you know exactly what's being said to you? Like the medical like lexicon and like Rolodex is is it's insane. There's you have to go to medical school for years and years to become a doctor or even like a, a you know mid level. Yeah, there's a reason for that because it's complicated. Yeah, so it, it's hard for us who speak English. I would say above average. Yeah, at, at the two of us on this podcast. And if we're having issues deciphering, imagine people that oh, don't man. even speak it's a whole other fluency. Yep. English. Yep. And, and so, so the the fact that we were built using technology to help patients in moments of high stress, high uncertainty, better connect with their doctors, and if you think the loved ones being in the room as well, giving them that peace of mind that there's actually a conversation happening versus words and saying, "Hey, you need to make this decision." And they may not even know what decision they're making. So it felt like it was everything that Audigy did for really connecting with me, my heart, in terms of helping people. And it was just changing the primary audience to the people that are like disenfranchised. They don't have access to the same healthcare and the same privileges that I am very fortunate to have. So it was a, the, the, the why behind the move to so Cloud right. Break was really compelling. I can imagine so. the power of that, joining your skill set, what you're used to with purpose, right? Even a greater purpose is, is you know, earth, sh earth shattering and moving, right? 100%. Simon Sinek says, right, the golden circle, start with why. Yeah. Start with why, then you talk about how, then you talk about what you do. You will have so many more people come along, or, or maybe if not more people, you'll have more of the right people come right. along. Right. Let me change the world one influencer at a time with a platform and an audience. Right. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Where so, did so, so UpHealth? You mentioned it was CloudBreak originally. How did CloudBreak was a legacy company? Okay. In, in the summer, um, it merged in the form of a SPAC, a special purchase acquisition company. So now we're UpHealth is a public entity. Okay. CloudBreak, which Marty was the uh, interpreting solution. And there's other uh, other companies within UpHealth, an e-pharmacy company, um, a, a population health management company, two different behavioral health companies as well. Um, and I don't know. I, I think I, I think I talked to you maybe briefly about this in school. Um, again, something I was a little um, nervous to disclose in my younger years. My late mom, she passed away uh, la uh, last summer, unfortunately. Mm. Um, but she had a stress-induced paranoid schizophrenia when my parents split when I was nine years old. Mm. So another thing that kind of made me who yeah. I was from, like a hard worker like say like say to myself um my mom didn't get the access to the help that she needed there was so much stigma behind yeah, mental illness back right. then too like she had four siblings they all thought that my mom was just simply being like rude or you know just like was cutting them out of her life when yeah. I was sitting there saying hey like this is not mom like this right. is a different person that we're dealing with right and so I was making lunch for me and my dad in fifth grade 
Like I was like, I was wow. like making, doing my own laundry, making yeah. lunch for us. I made, I was a heavy equipment mechanic and he had to work 12, 14 hours a day. Yeah. So I'd come home and I'd do my homework and I kind of, I was living a college life yeah. in elementary school. Right. So, right. so it was, it was, it was an interesting set of experiences. And so what up health became too, and, and wanting to bridge telehealth with behavioral health and mental health, like solutions that were, that were currently uh, looking to, looking to explore and build again, it kind of fit with helping people like my mom who don't have access to or are still fighting like the familial stigmas of mental illness right connecting them with resources that can keep them out of the healthcare system uh, and kind of put out the fire before it starts is something that really resonates with me too obviously from from the experiences sure. of my mom unfortunately no i appreciate you sharing that man that's uh like just exactly in the times we live in especially you know in, in my world my small window of mental health stigma for, for young men on a college campus in a team room, right? Like totally. being able to admit some of these vulnerabilities that we have or we've experienced and how we've, you know, like you mentioned yourself, like where you found the way, this is how I got to fit into this, the, the crazy is a horrible term, the, the stresses of my life and my reality. This is where I, how I had to evolve and what I had to do. Being able to share that, I appreciate that because that's, uh, yeah. that's not something we're good at as men right it is it, it's not and, and knowing too that um, i'm very conscious of the fact that genetically like there is a very small chance that i could right come under the same stressful situations and have that happen to me so it's, it's impacted my life in a way too where i'm very mindful of like yoga yes like healthy eating like keeping my weight down like all that and my wife of course she's just like gosh like you, you bring this up more than you need to i'm like well yeah but it's it's a part of for it, sure right? and again yeah I bring it up because I know there's people out there who aren't comfortable to bring it up. And yeah. the more vulnerable I am in front of people, it might help unlock to them saying like, hey, like all of us from like, you know, how many people have trouble having kids and nobody talks about yep. it? How many people have trouble with uh, a family member or themselves having mental illness and nobody talks about it? So the moment I told my story to Lauren, when I was like 24 or the first time yeah. I told it, I think I cried for an hour. Like I just like yeah. all that bottled up energy right. just came out and I was just weeping and I was crying. I'm like, man, there's so many more people like there. Oh, for sure. They're like, that are dealing with things maybe even more unfortunate than I dealt with. So, yeah. And if they're bottling this up, like how much like stress are we just unnecessarily yes. carrying? In our life? So it is. Uh, it's, uh, it's, the, the more I tell the story again, for good intent of helping others tell their stories. Um, it's been, it's been really cool to hear some of the conversations like, yeah, like there's a room of six normal looking people and we right. all we all have an interesting we're all carrying with, something and, right and that bag is part of us i know we're on a podcast but you see i'm wearing a you good fam mental health matter shirt it's exactly exactly what you're talking about man sometimes all you need is a beacon and somebody signifies with a sticker or a story that they might be in the same you know the same life experience as you um opens up a lot of that's that's phenomenal so what's Give us a sense of what's happening because you're you're on the front lines of some of this great change and, and access for folks. Where, what's next for Up Health? What's next for you? What are things you're excited about that you all are working on to help folks? Yeah. So so uh, to to what I mentioned, a lot of the so we were five unique businesses that came together last summer. And we've been working intently on becoming one company. So using, of course, the reach of what we do for interpretive services, we work with 2,100 healthcare systems across the country, systems like um, 
Robert Wood Johnson Barnabas, the UC, uh, UC uh, San Diego, UC San Francisco, the UC school systems. Um, we work with Peace Health here in the Northwest. We work with Amida. We work with Lee Health. We work with Yale back east, the Yale University Medical Center. So a lot of the, the really uh, uh, big establishments across the country that have access to our kind of telehealth and interpretive services solutions. We have hundreds and hundreds of uh, physicians utilizing our e-pharmacy platform. We have all sorts of uh, recipients of our mental care. So creating, instead of making those siloed solutions, figuring out ways where we can bridge them together. So again, utilizing all the things we're doing on the mental health side and all these different endpoints we have across health systems and being able to connect. I think the other thing that um, a lot of health systems are dealing with right now is that tele, you know, telehealth has been a, a focus of conversation now for even for years before the pandemic became obviously very much under the microscope in the last few years during the pandemic. And a lot of health systems looked at telehealth as a, a basically a vehicle where entities like Teladoc and a lot of the big companies, they hire their own physicians through the platform. And so it basically would fill holes in the infrastructure for these health systems that might be mid-size or even bigger health systems that maybe they don't have psychiatrists, maybe yeah. they don't have um, stroke specialists, like maybe these really laser focused like subspecialties. But with consolidation, a lot of these bigger health systems have only gotten larger, even through the pandemic. So it's less about do we have all the different subspecialists in our network? And it's now, hey, we actually have it, but it's really hard to access it because we're across multiple states. And, and like, what's the way that we can connect, you know, Dr. Ione out of Montana with all the different folks that need his care in California, for example. So we're working with health systems to try to bridge these gaps and saying, okay, well, we have the telehealth endpoints through our iPads and our solutions. How do we get more of the doctors you already have in your healthcare system to the patients at the point of care or even in their homes, like yeah. where they need to be met. So, so that's a lot of the focus is making sure we really, we really embrace being one company and we come up with more synergized solutions for, for healthcare. So. It makes me think like how much of your day, um, like if there's these macro problems with some micro solutions, like talk to me about how like your day, people management, big picture solutions, what, what are all the things your, your brain's churning on? It, it excites me thinking about it for you, but what, what is the, give us the pie chart of your day, what you're going about yeah. doing. Yeah, so my day is in sales operations specifically, so I've been, again, honored to step into a seat where I can help each of these different service lines or business units kind of interchangeable, uh, interchangeable titles. I can help these business units better understand how to um, stage having conversations with prospective clients or prospective partners. So understanding what questions we need to ask, understanding where our solution is static, meaning like it can't change versus like where we're a little bit more variable, where in certain health systems, like every, every health system, as you can imagine, is in a very different part of the arc on how well they think about like language services. So some health systems have been doing it for 15 years and they've got nine out of 10 things right. And they just want to fine tune the rest. There's other health systems who have kind of awoken to the fact they're like, wow, we are neglecting a huge portion of the population that needs this service. And we've just said, hey, we've got some doctors that speak, you know, uh, speak bilingual. So like, we'll, we'll let the, the patients talk to them. And 
federally, a bilingual physician is not an interpreter. And there's a lot of laws and regulations in that. So helping helping healthcare systems where they're at understand like what's that next step to be better. And then what's the next step after that to be better is a lot of the things I'm mapping for not only the legacy company that I worked with on the interpreting side, but all of the other entities that we, that we work in. So it's really, it's getting specific and hence that's where like sales ops again, wasn't a thing when I went through school, but now with math and analytical thinking and sales experience, it's like the perfect fit for me because I love the artful side of sales. I'm still involved with it and I still use it as an input, but I need to really think about processes mm. and understanding, okay, how are we making this, the transition from sales conversation to actually implementing a solution? Uh, yeah. How do we make the partner or client feel like a million bucks? They understand what they know exactly what they need to know and nothing more at this point like all the fine tuning in there is really where i spend a majority of my day and then of course i still have a few of the sales positions still directly report to me a sales ops coordinator um some of the inside team members so i do some more of that traditional like sales coaching and understanding uh you know how i can make their lives easier every day it's kind of really the two places that i spend a majority of my focus but i'm learning yeah. i'm learning so much more about healthcare even you know than what i've done the last 12 years um, it's, uh, it's, it's fascinating. That it's would like, be again, my, yeah, it, it had me thinking for like a, a, a what's your professional development more like, you know, cur like just industry knowledge as you're, you know, these analytics and all the, some of the stats you've given us, like, is that a daily, where are these sources that keep you educated to what you need to know, right? Yeah, Not just to question. sell, but to help, right? What, what are, yeah. what are these? So LinkedIn has become okay. just an unbelievable knowledge set. Of course, it depends on who you're following and who you're connected to, right? But and I know I know you're active on LinkedIn. I, we're active on LinkedIn. We use it as a prospecting tool now as well to like engage people at a medium that they don't feel as inundated, like email and other stuff. That's just like oh right. god, I have like hundreds. I have of sixty of these. And I'm going to swipe them all with my thumb to get rid of them. I only have a couple LinkedIn messages. Yeah. And oh, by the way, if you have the app and you have push notifications on, like it actually just pops up on the screen, right? So, right. so we use it there. But uh, Becker's is another one. So Becker's publishes hospital and healthcare information daily. Um, I, I go to HBR, uh, Harvard Business Review, and read a lot of articles. They focus a lot on healthcare there as well. Um, and, and seek out that knowledge. And then um, a lot of my colleagues who ran language services departments at health systems, um, uh, uh, our director of uh, equity inclusion or diversity inclusion and health equity, uh, Daniel Sanchez, um, there's brilliant subject matter experts on our team that actually basically uh, digest, polish and share knowledge with us too. So a lot of the internal sources on my team are able to publish like there's, you know, thir uh, upwards of 39% nurse turnover right now through the pandemic as well. So like we, we focus a lot, we've been able to win in what we do because we're very um, service oriented and we do a lot more training than like any of the competition. But what we realize is that training them once isn't good enough because if they're losing upwards of 39% of their nurses and like even other, uh, other, uh, you know, um, medical assistants and other positions, that training is all for naught because they're going to another system that may not use our, our service, right? So we need to have more of a methodical, like process oriented rather than project oriented education platform, for example. So um, there's $26 billion in, uh, in uh, readmission penalties in the United States. 8.5 billion of the 26 billion can be attributed to the populations that are that I was speaking You're to. You're kidding me. Speak English as a primary. So about wow. a third yeah. of the readmission penalties can be attributed to these patients that simply don't understand their healthcare the first time around. So they're coming back in and saying, "Hey, I have this issue," and it's like, "Yeah, you've already been in here for that issue." 
of course they're going to come back in. They don't know right. what they need to do to solve it. Right. So, so the more you, you take a step back and be like, wow, like this seems to do, this is work that's the right thing to do. So again, that's why all of us are here. But when health systems realize that, again, like it's the right thing to do and it impacts the bottom line and their profitability and it limits the amount of penalties they can incur, that's when the rubber meets the road and it goes, wow, okay, it's the right thing to do. And it's like very impactful from like a C-suite perspective. Yeah. Like, okay. You've got my ear. Like, let's, let's talk. Right. Oh, that's amazing, man. And I appreciate you. We got like two more podcasts we can do with you, my friend. We got we got a yeah, lot I mean, of stuff. I, I we come back. How long you want to go? Oh, it was so good, man. I, I got a lot of questions, but I, I want to let you go on this one, and we'll keep you on the docket. Uh, we might need, you know, we got a with the pod. We've got these all these little mini series. We might need. I need. This, I need a version of one where we just bring Lucky back to talk about health systems and what's going on because it's so relevant. Everything so you're working relevant. on is so relevant. It touches so many folks. Like we mentioned, I just I just live this trying to be the interpreter in a room where we were like you mentioned English as first language speakers, and it was still like, do I have this all written down digitally? Do I remember what? It, do I have to report this and then make a decision for health of a loved one based on my knowledge of this? So, Jason Lucterhand, Vice President, Up Healthy Core Sales Operations, man. I'm proud of you, boss. Like I'm, I, it's you, so awesome what you're doing. Thank you for sharing time with us on Cross the Streams. Uh, and like I mentioned, we got to have you back. Content reminder: the opinions expressed on today's episode are those of the hosts and guests alone, and should not be viewed as reflective of the opinions of the institutions or employers of the hosts and guests.